Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm talking with Allison Vesterfeld. She is an author, a writer over at alisonvesterfeld.com. She also writes for the Storyline blog, which is Donald Miller's main website. We also talk about Donald Miller's storyline productivity schedule and her experience with that, as well as why it's a lifesaver for her in terms of getting her writing done. And in case you missed it, I talked to Donald about that productivity schedule back in episode 58 of this podcast, which you can find at beyondthetodolist.com slash 58. Allison and I also talk about how she got started as a writer, how she maintains discipline to make sure she gets her writing done since she's really only accountable to herself and how she and her husband have defined the difference between building a bridge and taking a leap. Also, if you're listening to this episode during the first week of its release, Allison has given me a copy of her book, Packing Light, to give away. All you need to do to enter to win that is to listen through this episode Go to the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 69. Leave a comment about what your biggest takeaway from this episode was, and then you'll also find a tweet there that you'll just need to retweet. I will pick one random winner when that one week is up and the new episode is posted, and then I will mail that book out promptly. Anyway, enjoy this conversation. Well, this week, it is my privilege to talk to Allison Vesterfeld. Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Do you go by Allison, or I noticed your Twitter name is Allie Vest. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, professionally, I go by Allison. It's kind of a, a mix across the board, but everybody, my immediate family, my closest friends, my husband, they all call me Allie. Okay. So. Well, I, I don't know you that well, so if I slip and say it, just because you know, <laughs> I'm <laughs> used can. to seeing your Twitter account. So, and other people, other people who see my Twitter account do call me Allie. So okay. if you do, I answer to it. It's fine in um, 
It doesn't, it definitely doesn't offend me at all, but okay. just, you know, since Allison is on the cover of the book, usually for, for yes. professional reasons, people call me Allison, but I like both. So cool. So the book, I, I, what's funny was when I first saw the name of the book, my first thought was, Oh, packing light. This must be about minimalism. <laughs> and uh, it's definitely not, or at least not in, in what, you know, hardcore minimalists would say minimalism is or isn't or whatever. But in a roundabout way, it kind of is because it's got some of the best parts or maybe the best part about what minimalism is or what people that talk about that word or that buzzword are talking about, which is letting go of things or moving through life on a journey, holding on to less stuff so you can do more stuff or better stuff or have freer options or or what have you. Anyway, am I close to anywhere with where the book goes with that? Yeah. I mean, I have read it, but is that kind of where you were trying to take the reader on a journey at through that kind of memoir style? Yeah. You know, what's funny is for me, when I first started writing the book, the the concept of packing light to me at the beginning of my of my journey that the book covers, I didn't even really know what minimalism was. I mean, maybe if you had said it to me, I could have guessed from the name what it was, but it wasn't a thing in my world. I didn't know anybody who was a minimalist. Um, you know, and now that the book is written and after it came out, I started reading Joshua Becker from Becoming Minimalist and then Josh and Ryan from The Minimalist. And I see so many connecting points between what minimalists are talking about and what I'm talking about. And it just kind of, it's laughable to me because it's like, well, this is just, I mean, what really inspired me was the story of the rich young ruler mm. and how Jesus said to him, um, you know, he comes to Jesus and says, I've, I've done all the stuff I'm supposed to do. I followed all the rules. I checked up all these boxes, which for me, I felt like was like, okay, I got a college degree. I obeyed my parents. I've got a great um, 401k. I've got a savings account. You know, I'm all set up. I've done all the stuff I'm supposed to do, but I feel like I'm missing out on the kingdom of heaven or the abundant life that Jesus promises. I just feel like I don't have that. What, what else do I have to do to get to that? And Jesus says to the man, like, you have to let go of everything. You have to literally live your life totally open-handed and come follow me on this journey that I'm taking. And so that was so convicting for me that I let go of all my stuff and went on this trip and really for a year of my life lived with so many fewer possessions than I had ever lived with and had to go through the grief of letting go of things that were really just physical possessions like books or clothes or th just the things you collect in your house. There was a grief in letting those things go, but then a, a huge freedom in experiencing the opportunity to be able to move and to travel and to, um, and to give because you have nothing to lose and to receive because you have everything to gain and kind of the relationships that come from that and the freedom that comes from that and the ability to chase, um, to live out the passions that you feel like God has put inside of you and to, chase after things that matter to you and to really prioritize things that are most important. And all of that stuff is minimalism. You know, it's all, that's all what they talk about. So there are so many parallels there. And I just think it's funny. I didn't set out to write a minimalist book, but I did set out to write a book about what happens when we're willing to let go of the stuff that's actually getting in our way that we think we love, we think we need, but it's actually getting in our way of doing what we really want to do with our lives. Yeah. I really love hearing people's stories. And so um, 
the the book the memoir style of the book was really refreshing because it's it's you telling your story mm-hmm. up till that point and and it's almost like you know there's there's a couple different points here where um you know i mean ultimately for you to to sit down and start writing that on the journey and then after the journey was over of this road trip and to start kind of not necessarily fictionalizing it but putting it into a cohesive story um you had to have started to learn something and you also had to have been at a point prior to the story of needing to learn that lesson or needing to let go or or stop holding on to things and so if if your life was lost let's jump back into a flashback for a second here <laughs> and uh you know younger life i mean you have always been interested in writing but only well, I'd say only you know a small percentage of your life have you been doing that as your career or calling or whatever. Can we talk about when you? How did you get started? How did you get interested? How did you discover that was your passion? Yeah, well, I mean, really, since I was very young, I remember writing being my passion. Um, but you know that plays itself out in different ways in different seasons of your life. I, the first real memory I have of realizing I was a writer was in fourth grade. I was given, we were given, the whole class was given an assignment to write a story and it was supposed to be one page front and back. And we were given a lot of creative control over, you know, it could be really about anything. I think we had maybe read a book that was supposed to inspire it, but everybody else turns in their story. It's one page front and back. I turn in my story and it's nine pages front and back handwritten. And I still felt like I wasn't finished with it. And so my teacher (laughs) kind of noticed, oh, she, this assignment really got to her in a way that other assignments haven't. And so at the end of that school year, she gave me a composition notebook and just wrote a short note inside that said, you're a great writer, keep writing. Um, And then, so, I mean, that memory sticks out in my mind. I was really young in fourth grade and I still remember it to this day. And then uh, uh, maybe a year ago, I was watching family videos with my family over Christmas and um, watched a video of my sixth grade graduation and my sixth grade teacher had said something, too, about how the one comment that he had made about me when I graduated was, Allison is a great writer. And um, and that was just interesting for me to hear now, sitting where I'm sitting, it's like there were these many affirmations along the way that this, that this was the path for me, that this was my passion, that I was good at it, I was being affirmed in it very early on. Um, and yet, I think, and the other thing I would say, too, is that it was the thing I always did in my free time. I, when email became a thing, I would send emails to my friends that were usually encouraging emails or catching up on you know what things we had missed in each other's lives. I would tell stories, long, long emails. I'm sure my friends were like, oh my gosh, I do not want to read this 15-paragraph email. But um, that was an outlet for me, a way to um, you know share my stories and share my thoughts about things. I As soon as blogging became a thing, I jumped on that. I have dozens of journals filled with ideas, thoughts, stories, quotes, things that, you know, were on my mind, poems, all kinds of things. So it was always something I did in my free time. But I think that uh, probably around end of high school, beginning of college is when I really started to think about the question, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I have to, I have to like, um, the, the writing thing felt sort of frivolous. And I thought I have to buckle down and be responsible and grow up and be an adult and get a job. And, you know, lots of really well-meaning adults in my life said, writing is a great, 
idea, but it's really hard to make money as a writer, which is very true. And so I'm glad that they were honest about that. But I think in my own insecurity and my ability as a writer, that led me to a place where I decided, okay, well, what other job could I do that would just pay my bills? And then on the side, I can be a writer. Um, and I mean, I want to like be delicate about how I say this because I, I was there and I understand that shift in that decision. But ultimately looking back, if I could talk to myself at that age, I would tell myself that's a compromise. I mean, what I, and, and think of the implications too. If I'm, so I'm in college and I'm like, okay, what can I do that can really make me money? I'll be a teacher because teachers only have to work nine months out of the year. They get three months off, they get Christmas off. So that'll give me lots of time to write. Well, then I become a teacher and I realize I'm not very invested in my job as a teacher. And who suffers because of that? My students suffer, my other coworkers suffer, I suffer, everybody suffers because I'm not doing the thing that I really want to do, the thing that has been built inside of me, you know? And so it's a struggle. It's not easy. I'm not saying, well, if I had just decided at 20 to be a a professional writer, the path would have been quick and easy and it would have just all fallen into place. That's not true. It's a struggle to find a way to live out your passions in a way that is encompasses your whole life. It's not just something you do on the side. So it's a struggle, but it's a struggle worth having because from where I sit now, I think, I wish I would have done this earlier. I wake up every day and I'm so excited that I get to do what I do. See, and, and so luckily you're kind of, I wouldn't say arrived, but you've arrived at the conclusion that you know that now that's what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's not as uncommon as people think to have those affirmations or confirmations of skill or talent or passion or desire or, you know, everything we want to be doing. And there are those, those places where we're being confirmed in that. And yet we, we don't maybe claim those, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and I have a whole story about the first moment I claimed being a writer, which wasn't until actually the very end of our road trip, but it's amazing what happens when you're just willing to speak the words out loud. This is what I am. Um, we were just finishing up our trip and uh, going to a Christmas party. And I was getting, you know, I knew we were going to meet a bunch of new people and I'm an introvert. So I was a little nervous about it. But my friend on the way to the party said, what if you tell people at the party, what if you just said, when they ask you what you do for a living, which is the question everyone asks, what if you just said, I'm a writer, what would happen? And I was like, I don't know. She's like, you'll never see these people again. I dare you to just do it. So I'm at the party meeting all these different people. People would say, what do you do for a living? I'm a writer. And within about the third person I met and told I was a writer, she said, oh, I work for this nonprofit. We're looking to hire new writers. Would you be interested in doing an interview? I'd love to interview you this week. So immediately I pick up an, uh, an interview. Another person says, oh, I've, I, I should connect you to this organization because they really are very supportive. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. 
In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Of writers. And so all these things happen in that moment that night that I choose to say I'm a writer. And the next morning I say to my friend, so what do you think, what do you think that was? Why did that happen that way? Did I, is it just a fake it till you make it thing? Like you're just supposed to say it and then you can become it. And she said, no, it's not fake it till you make it. You've always been a writer. Everybody knows that about you. This was just the first time you admitted it was true about yourself. Hmm. And so I just, i feel like I want to encourage people to be willing to admit what's true about yourself. It's not faking it until you make it. And it's not even being arrogant. It's just admitting what's true about who you are. Yeah. And, it, and it's not faking it to claim something that, you know, you've, you've, or, or at least even if you, even if you hadn't heard a bunch of confirmations before or affirmations to your writing skill or anything like that, if that was still some burning passion, you know, mm-hmm. inside of you, and you decided to claim, you know, and, and tell everybody I am a writer, then like Jeff Goins, um, yeah. <laughs> whose book will be in the show notes of this episode. There, I've said <laughs> it because um, reading that book for me was very much the same thing. And, and I still have a long way to go in terms of being a better writer. But um, that doesn't mean that it's not true. It's not inauthentic. It's not false. It's striving towards getting better at this thing over and over and over daily consistently, you know? Absolutely. And Joshua Fields Milbourne, who's one of the minimalists, Mm -hmm. he said something, this is from kind of the other side of the table, but I just thought this was so cool. He said, instead of asking people what they do for a living, I ask them what they're passionate about Mm -hmm. because it gives people more space to, to show their true self to you. Cause we do all kinds of things for a living, right? we work at Starbucks, we are teachers, we're doctors, we're nurses, but that doesn't encompass the whole of who we are. And so I've started doing that ever since he suggested that. I ask people instead of saying, what do you do? I'll say either, what are you passionate about? Or what is it? What does a typical day look like for you? Well, and that's, that's a much more interesting conversation anyway, to, to ask somebody what they're excited about versus what they do, because some people do things they do to pay the bills that aren't necessarily you know they haven't found or maybe and i don't think that it always has to be like there's this is a str- this is an internal struggle for me give me your opinion on this um i think back to generations previous and think of you know t- telling somebody well i want to go do this or that or something else and and it's super awesome and it's fun and it may or may not give notoriety but even if it doesn't like it's something i really want to do and i'm passionate about and and i'm just going to go follow my passion and I'm going to do it and hopefully it'll pay the bills. And, and they're like, yeah, but, but if it doesn't like, and I guess you've talked about this actually a little bit already about, you know, other people saying, well, is that realistic? Is that, you know, and, and you talked about maybe a compromise, but I don't know. There's a struggle. There's a balance between doing stuff you have to do to -hmm. pay the bills and be responsible. And there's this, this other side of things. And, and I think that that's maybe kind of the crossing of the threshold, you know, that maybe like John Acuff talks a bit about, you know, when with quitter and, um, you know, you, you, you don't leap from something that's stable and can help you prepare and learn to do this other thing better and well, and even succeed at it. But 
at some point do you cross over? I mean, I know you don't really believe in there being some like big break, so to speak. It's not a fairy tale. It's very much a realistic, almost grinded out kind of a thing. But at the same time, that's almost saying it's drudgery when it's definitely not. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know. And there is a tension. My husband and I talk about the words we use to talk about it are um, building bridges and taking leaps. And I think there are some times when you build bridges from one side of the river or whatever it is you're crossing to the other. And there are other times you take a leap. And I think you have to know yourself and know your capacity enough and know how big of a risk you're willing to take based on how much responsibility you have. Like if I had four kids, I wouldn't quit my job and go on a road trip. It's just not that wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be stewarding what I've been given well. Um, because I was single, you know, it felt, it felt terrifying to me to do what I did. Um, but because I was single, there wasn't a lot to lose. The biggest thing I had to lose was my furniture. You know what I mean? Or maybe like, uh, missing a meal because we didn't have any cash or maybe, um, you know, just putting myself in circumstances that were less than comfortable. But there really wasn't that much to lose. It would have been different if I would have been the mother of four children. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so let me ask you this real quick. I know you're, you have more thoughts. But th- this really hits on – what you're saying really hits on one of the criticisms that I had. I don't know. This was months ago uh, regarding the show is you know, one of the iTunes reviews said something about has too many writers on that have unrealistic amounts of free time. And I'm, <laughs> of course they can get everything done. And I'm like <laughs> – that is so not true. And in fact, I know you could share or shed some light on that. But what you just said about like, you're, you don't have four kids. You're not like some stay at home mom who is also on top of everything else doing it all. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it'd be a way different story or picture. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I just think there's no such thing as doing it all, you know, and it, it, from the outside looking in to any the grass is always greener, right? So the outside looking into anyone else's life, you can always think, man, that person has so much time on their hands. They, they just, you know, I can see why from the outside looking into a writer's life, you would think like this person has way too much time to think. And, and they, you know, she doesn't have any kids. She doesn't have any responsibilities. No wonder she could quit her job and go on a road trip. But to me, the book really wasn't about quitting my job to go on a road trip. The book was about the idea that you can't have it all. You can only choose a couple of things. So I always say, when you go on a trip, you have to pack. If you don't pack, you can't go. And whatever you pack, you only have a certain amount of space to pack. You can't take everything with you. So everything you put in your suitcase matters. And it's all, it's very symbolic because if you think about it, um, if you were to go on a trip and something were to happen to you and someone were to find your suitcase, they could look through your items and they would be able to tell you a lot about you. They would be able to tell you, you know, where you were headed probably. Um, maybe not the exact location, but at least the purpose of the trip. If you had business clothes packed, you'd be on a business trip. If you had hiking shoes packed, you'd be going somewhere different. If you had a swimsuit packed, it would be someplace different. And so I think that for me, the metaphor carries over to our lives, that the things we choose to fill our time with, to fill our days with, to fill our space with matter. And if we think that having excess and having clutter doesn't matter, we're fooling ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. If we think we can do everything and be it all and fit it all in, we're fooling ourselves. And we're missing out on really enjoying the few things that are actually useful and that are actually that actually bring value to our lives we're missing out on experiencing the joy of those things if we try to bring everything yeah definitely um so then kind of continuing with your story so you claimed you were a writer 
obviously, even instantaneously, there was another confirmation there of, oh, yeah, well, let me get you connected with these people. And, you know, slowly but surely you've been involved with, you know, an online magazine and you've got this book now that's written and you're consistently blogging for your site as well as the the storyline blog. And you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily say I mean, don't get me wrong, having your own published you know, tangible book out there is a milestone, but you probably wouldn't say I've, I have arrived or I've, I've gotten a big break or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing I always, the way I always talk about it with people is, um, finding your sweet spot. Like I'll always ask people, have you found your sweet spot? I feel like that is more it than a big break. Cause there's no real moment when you feel like there are lots of little moments along the way where you're like, wow, this is a great accomplishment. I'm, I feel so thankful for this thing that I've opportunity I've been given or an award or, or, um, you know, affirmation from people around you that all feels good. And it feels like a step in the right direction, but it's really all about finding your sweet spot. And Bob Goff always says, it's like a Polaroid picture. It's slowly coming to light. And I think that about our callings and our careers and our, and our vision for our life, that it's okay for it to be slowly coming to light. And, you know, I'm, I am closer to my sweet spot now than I've ever been. So that is good. I know I'm on the right track. I'm not fully there. Um, but, but I mean, it's, it's always in process. It's always blurry coming to light. And as long as it's getting clearer and clearer as I walk toward it, then that's satisfying enough for me. Yeah. And so these days your, your home, your, your office, well, let me ask you that is, is your home your office or do you have a preferred method of, you know, getting in your writing time daily. I guess let me start with actually the question that that really uh, I, I try to ask everybody, which is: in an ideal world, how do you start your day? Well, I start my day every morning at five. I do work from home for now. I, I won't be able to do it for much longer because um, I just hired someone to do to help me with some things. Um, so I'll have to have an office space to bring her in. But for now, I work from home and I start my day at five, wake up, and for the first three to five hours of my day, depending on the day, I just write. So um, I'll sit down, make coffee, sit down at five and write for about an hour at a time um, without stopping and then take a five-minute break or so and come back and write for another hour, five-minute break, write for another hour. And I do that either from five to eight or five to ten so that my most focused brain, when my brain is most fresh and alert in the morning, I focus that toward writing. And then the second half of the day, I'll do meetings or um, I'll do emails, other things that don't necessarily need all of my brain power. So that's how I start my day. Okay. And then as far as, do you have any kind of mm, rituals or just uh, methodology in terms of I'm going to sit in this seat till brilliance lightning strikes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I used to do, I used to actually physically set my alarm clock for one hour and I wouldn't allow myself to get up from the seat until the alarm went off. So this isn't during my morning routine. I'd wake up at five, set it for one hour and until it went off at six Oh two or whatever, I wouldn't get up to even use the bathroom or get something to eat or whatever. Um, I don't need the alarm clock anymore because I'm so in the routine but there are in those hours, there are hours where I will write 15 words and there are hours when I'll write 2,000 words. So it just really depends on the morning. And my commitment to myself is that it doesn't matter. It's the, the sitting here is what matters. It doesn't matter how many words I produce. 
It's the showing up to the page, being consistent, being committed, being dedicated to creating something. And, um, and the rest of it, the other half of the creative process, I feel like I don't, I'm not in charge of that. I'm only in charge of my half of it. And the other half of it comes half the time and the other half the time, you know, I, I struggle with it and wrestle with it. And I think that's okay. So, um, do you, I, I know I've seen an Instagram picture or something somewhere where, you know, you're, you're sitting there with the MacBook air out in the sun. Is that, do you, do you try to get outside <laughs> and change your scenery? Does that help? Oh, I, the change of scenery makes all the difference in the world. I forget that it does. And I sit in my apartment most of the time and then I'm like, what am I doing? I need to get out and go to a coffee shop or go sit on my back deck or especially now that the weather's getting nicer. It's so nice to be able to just get out. And my husband and I share a car. So if he has the car during the day, then I can walk. There are a few coffee shops I can walk to, but I'll try to get out, at least go for a walk or take my computer to a coffee shop and work. I probably every other day, at least I need to get out of the house and do something different or go right in a different space. Um, it, it makes a bigger difference than I, than I realize sometimes. I know that, you know, again, you're not kind of the person you, you don't have as many, you don't have the same type of responsibilities that some of our listeners, you know, would have in terms of, well, they have this day job that they, they t- made they, either they, they like or maybe they only tolerate it and then they want to do writing or they want to do podcasting or some some creative outlet in this other, you know, marginal time. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that person who envies your situation? Well, I mean, I would say I just like everybody else, I have to pay, pay my bills too, you know? Like I do writing projects that are not for me they aren't creative, they're writing for other people and there is a creative aspect to it, but it's not the same kind of creative where, you know, you're just working on kind of your brainchild or your baby. Um, and, and that's what pays my bills. So, um, so, and I, I guess what I would say is that it's a process. Like I was saying before that there's building bridges and taking leaps. And sometimes you build a bridge halfway and then take a leap the other half of the way. Sometimes you take a leap the whole way. Sometimes you build a bridge the whole way across. And so, uh, a great example of that is I was talking to a, a young guy who I was coaching um, in his writing, and he was saying that he works this great job where he makes you know six figure income, and he would really love to go back to school someday. And he doesn't love his job; it's tolerable, but he'd really like to go back to school someday and be a writer, or he would like to start a nonprofit. And he was telling me about all these different dreams he had, and I just told him, "Until you're sure where you're headed." it would be silly for you to let go of this job you have because you can be banking three quarters of your income and live on the rest of it. And that will be your nest egg. It's like you're building a bridge three quarters of the way so that when it comes time to take a leap, it's a manageable leap for you. And he's not married right now. And so I just told him if I were you, the packing light would be this. I'm willing to let go of living on the fullness of my gigantic income (laughs) and put some of it into a savings account and live on as little as possible so that I can really truly live out my dreams in a year or two years or three years from now. Um, And so I don't think this is like a quit your job. Everybody just quit your job. It's not that. I think it's really the conversation for me is about priorities. And so, you know, my husband and I will have this conversation often, like what are our priorities in this season? What's my priority today? Am I putting my time, my resources, my energy, even, you know, emotional resources. Am I putting those resources toward the things that matter to me the most? And if I'm not, no wonder I'm unhappy. And if I am, once I can realign those priorities, I realize 
I actually have purpose in waking up and going to this job I don't love every day because it's every day I go to this job is another day that I'm building into my future that I can do something I really want to do. So that's what I would say is try to think long term, try to build a bridge, um, build a bridge to the point where you, when you, it's time to take a leap, it's a manageable leap for you. And then when it comes time to take a leap, the thing I always say about taking a leap is it'll always be scary and it always has to be your decision. Don't let anyone push you off the edge because, you know, it's like if you think of jumping off of a cliff into water, if someone pushes you, you tumble the whole way down. If you choose to take a leap, you leap, you give yourself plenty of space from the edge and you can land in the water below. So um, when it comes time to take that leap, expect to be afraid. It will be scary um, to know the risk and then to just do it and enjoy the ride down because it's very fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, what you said about, you know, the conversations that you have with your husband and even, you know, somebody going to a job that they know they aren't going to be at forever, um, that that having those talks or having that thought process and having that shift in perspective seems to me like it would be something that by consistently, you know, recalibrating or refocusing would help you not or, or realign with, you know, if you've been, you know, procrastinating a lot lately, maybe because then suddenly you realize, oh, well, if my goal is to go and do this thing, then uh, or you know, you, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, like, I totally see. Yeah, I think the the thing I would say, um, and this is where my brain goes. Let me see if I can make a connection. The yeah. power of choice is so powerful. When we realize that we have choice over everything we do in our lives. Suddenly, like the depression or hopelessness we feel dissipates and a sense of responsibility and accountability takes over. So for example, when I realized that I have the choice to either continue working this job or quit working this job, I, I have the choice to go this place or not to go this place. I have the choice to be friends with this person or to not be friends with this person. Suddenly, it's like this incredible sense of... Um, Agency is what Donald Miller would call it. Agency over our lives. We have the choice. We can choose. And um, so, and there are certain things that have to, you know, like certain realities that just do exist. Like I have to pay my bills. That's a reality. But there are many different ways I can pay my bills. And once I realize, like, I get to choose to wake up and go to this job every day, or I get to choose to quit it and go to a different job, there's this incredible freedom that happens in that moment, I think. And so, like for me, it's all about reframing because there are certain things I do during the day that I'm like, oh, this is not my first choice. But I can reframe it and think, man, this is an incredible learning opportunity or this is helping me get to my goal. It's helping me to pay off my grad school debt. It's helping me, my husband and I, to um, save for a down payment to buy a house. It's whatever. It's like I can create my list of reasons why I'm doing this thing. And once I realize I'm choosing this, I'm doing this out of my own free will in order to get to a place that I actually really want to go, (laughs) then it doesn't feel so trapping. It's not like I'm trapped in my life and I just have to get in my car every morning and drive to this place I hate and be with these people I hate, you know? Um, it, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but there's an incredible sense of freedom that comes along with that. Yeah, it, it totally does. And, and actually, so then you, you mentioned Donald Miller and I know that you use his, uh, one, you write for the storyline blog and two, your husband works with him. Yeah. And, the you use the productivity um, the storyline productivity schedule, which sounds to me like um, because I know what it is and, and and actually let's talk about that the um, the fleshing out of that long term perspective into a daily 
you know, daily visualization or something like that. Yes, totally. I love the storyline productivity schedule. I feel like I'm, I'm a poster board for it because I'm always telling people, <laughs> you know, I, it's productivity is such a huge conversation in the business world. And I'm not really, first and foremost, I consider myself creative. I'm like scattered and not organized and my brain is all over the place. And so productivity has never really seemed, I've never been able to make the, the leap from what happens in my brain to what people say makes you productive. So, but then of course, as I'm you know, get my schedule's getting busier and I'm having to, um, kind of run my own little business here. I have to, I have to learn how to be more productive. And so, um, stumbling, not stumbling on when Don came out with the storyline productivity schedule, I felt so excited because I think in terms of temperament and what's happening inside of his brain, it's very similar to mine. And so it's, it's like a productivity schedule, uh, developed by someone who is very creative and so um, it functions a little bit differently than other things I've read or seen about productivity, but just really super helpful for me, kind of takes that big vision. So you start every day by writing at the top kind of what your, your life objective is, um, and you just have a simple statement at the top. And then from that, you create these lists of things, projects that you're working on, um, one of my favorite lists is the things you're looking forward to from today for today. Because what I found was when I used to make a long to-do list and it would include things like going to the grocery store, cleaning my bathroom, writing such and such, getting three blog posts done, stuff like that. And it would feel like this looming thing over my head that there were 10 things I had to get done and I was hurrying to cross them off and not really stopping to enjoy any of them. And then when I started listing the tasks or the projects I was working on for the day and then making a separate list of things I was looking forward to, I realized that many of the things that were on my to-do list were actually should be on the looking forward to list, like having coffee with a friend or even going to the grocery store is really, really enjoyable for me. And so if I could start to see those things as actual breaks from my work and order my workday in such a way that I'm focusing my brain power on the tasks that need to be accomplished and then taking a break to go to the grocery store and then focusing my brain on the task that needs to be accomplished and then taking a break to go to coffee. I started getting way more done and feeling less trapped by my to-do list because half of it was actually not a to-do list. It was a for fun list. Yeah. It's, it's that balance of going back and forth between here's something that all the things are, well, not all the things, but hopefully most of the things on the list are things not only that you have to do, but that you want to do. Yeah. Or at least it starts to help you shift your brain to kind of move those things into not just an, not just a an and or an or, or not just an an either or, but to an and. That's what I meant to say. Yep, absolutely. So I, I love it. I love that. I think that. Uh, in fact, I need to to bust that out again. I I did do some with it. I took a challenge with people when when Don was on the show, and I think it really works. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, I just really I really think that it's a different perspective on. You know, it, it because I think that's maybe one of the things is we feel like we're missing out maybe by doing all this work. We don't see the long term um, ramifications yet. We just feel like we're missing out now, and and that this is where I was kind of connecting it to. You know, what you were talking about about build the bridge as close or you know to the other side as you can. But at some point, yeah, probably even in the end, it's it's a leap. But if you can at least kind of even on a daily perspective, especially with this tool, 
see that what you're doing, even in the small things, is getting you there, mm-hmm. you can do the things. Yes. You that can makes, get the work done. Yeah. It makes all the difference in the world to know that the tiny act of obedience, not obedience to God necessarily, but obedience to even to yourself and to your agenda in this day, the tiniest act of obedience is moving you the tiniest step closer to what you ultimately are after. And um, yeah, so that, that brings full circle uh, back to the beginning of what I was saying, just about there's a, such a sense of freedom in that. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I think that uh, that's probably a good place to end, but let's, uh, where can people go grab the book? I'm going to, I have a copy from you. You were generous enough to send me one that I'm going to give away. And so ultimately what I want people to do is go to the show notes for this episode at beyond the to-do list.com. Uh, crap. What episode is it? <laughs> uh, I think it's, I think it's 70 or it's 69. Let me check. But anyway, tell people where, where they can get the book while I check that. Okay. You can get the book anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any of that online. Um, and you can find me at my website. There's also a link on my website to buy the book at all from also from those various retailers at allisonvesterfelt.com. And then you can also follow me on Twitter if you want at Allybest. And that's A-L-L-Y-V-E-S-T. Yep. And people can find the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 69. And so just go there. And now that you've finished, you're only hearing this because you've finished listening to the episode. So (laughs) there's got to have been some takeaway. Go there and write in there somewhere in the in the comments what your biggest takeaway was. And then I, I'll put a tweet there somewhere that you, you can just retweet that as well. And by doing those two things uh, in a week, I'll pick someone randomly and I'll send them the book. Awesome. So, Allison, it's been awesome to talk with you again. And I just hope everybody really got something out of this. I know. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. So I have a question for you. Where are you at in your journey? Are you building a bridge? Are you preparing for a leap? I'd like to know. Let me know in the comments section of the episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 69. You can enter to win Allison's book, Packing Light, by going to those show notes and leaving a comment about what your biggest takeaway was from this episode. Again, go there and do that and then retweet the embedded tweet that is sitting there in the show notes. And I'll pick one random winner that has done both those items before the next episode is out. Make sure to thank Allison for being on this show and make sure to check out the Storyline Productivity Schedule. Again, you heard Allison talk about how it's made an impact on her life and how she gets her work done. And I have to say that I'm doing the same. I have links for that and the episode where I talked to Donald Miller about it in the show notes for this episode. So again, basically, call to action, front and center, blunt here at the end of the episode. Go to beyondthetodolist.com slash 69. Go ahead and share the episode, grab all the goodies, and I will see you next episode.
Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast. Theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx.